okay. Um, we're going to talk about the little children and Jesus. And uh, I, I think I've already gone through this one. I want to talk about what's coming up. Anybody, any Olympic fans out there? Huh? Let's talk about this real quick. Let's talk about these Paris Olympics. What makes a great Olympian? Okay, discipline, practice, sacrifice. What's that? Competing. Yep. What's that? Believing in something greater than yourself. Okay. Talent. Goal. Perseverance. Uh, team player. Reach for higher. Isan, it's good to see you. And then you're coming in right away with two. With you know, you're just kind of bringing it strong this morning. Do you have some extra coffee? You said reach for something higher. I got all distracted, right? Uh, who's that from? Who gave you that? The little boys. Right? So this is all stuff coming up, right? Johnny, what did you say? Um, the, the, the basketball is coming up again, 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 again in, in, the, in the summertime. That's right. That's right. Um, this is like, in the Olympics coming up, I looked it up, 165 days until the Summer Olympics starts July 26th. I came up with, you got to have like, you got to be like athletically skilled, right? Determination, right? That's discipline. Um, sacrifice. You got, who said competitive? Competing, that was you, Isan, right? Competing, you gotta be competitive, you gotta have confidence. You have to have intelligence about your sport, right? Like there's people who are really athletic and they don't understand their sport, right? But you have to, um, there's a part like the great Olympians, right? Or the great athletes, they have that mental just, like I'm gonna, like I'm gonna kill my, my comp, like I'm gonna dominate my competition, right? Like I'm just flat out, I don't care what you do, I don't care how you do it, I'm just better than you, right? Think about like a Michael Phelps who's just like, I'm just gonna, you know, like he, that just switch that those great athletes have, right? The, the Michael Phelps, uh, we've seen Simone Biles, we've seen Usain Bolt, we've seen Ledecky, um, we've seen these people who just like, man, they have that edge, right? So that's coming up, right? Now let's look back about 165 days. Anybody know what happened about 165 days ago? You guys miss this one? Come on, you guys weren't paying attention to the Special Olympics that happened in Berlin? Nobody pays attention to that, right? What makes a great Special Olympian? Great Special Olympian. And I, he, <laughs> you guys are all saying the same thing. And I'm gonna say, none of this makes a great Special Olympian, right? All of these things in the Special Olympics, sorry, are irrelevant, right? 
you go to the Special Olympics website, which I spent some time looking at it and seeing what they're all about, and we kind of have a vague understanding about the Special Olympics. Here's some things that come from the Special Olympics website, right, where they will say, like, their goal, right? The Special Olympics strives to create a better world by fostering the acceptance and inclusion of all people. We support people with intellectual disabilities through health, education, and skills development programs, right? Uh, this guy, Mark Solomayer, who was like the VP of these Berlin Summer Games, we want to throw sh show through the spirit of sport how invaluable inclusion can be for everyone and how much fun and joy we can have together, right? When, when you talk about the, the great Olympians, <laughs> right, we're not talking about inclusion. This is exclusive. This is only for the best of the best, right? We are not accepting... Just because Chris can do some deadlifts in his garage doesn't mean he's going to be an Olympian because he just wants to be included in the Olympics, right? This is often about sacrifice, not fun and joy. Incredible discipline, right? It's that kind of mental domination where I'm going to, like, I'm going to destroy you, right? Like kind of having that edge to be a great Olympian. You have these kind of very competing claim these very competing frames of reference right in so many ways the competition in the special olympics is a bit of an illusion right people don't go to these special olympics often to like man i can't wait to go dominate they go for fun and for joy and health and education and skills development and inclusion and it's inspiring right and it's not we, we don't think of like Oh man, that guy got a silver medal. He just really blew it, right? <laughs> like he, you know, he really No, it's 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 the inspiration. Now, let's think about this for a second. And we're going to go back and I want to come we're going to come back to this 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 kind of parallel between the Olympics and the Special Olympics. Um, but we got to go back and we got to remember who we're dealing with here. And I got my picture here of my high school boys, right? This is this is our, you know, a few of the disciples that were you know, we're, we're talking about these, these high school boys. Uh, and the last time we talked because 18, 11, 4 was State of the Church, 25th, 20, 28th? That's Joey, Big Joe. Joey? Big Joe Grigsby, this is Austin Akers, Colby. Um, I, I don't know this kid. And then I remember this kid, but I can't remember his name. Um, but yeah, that's Joey. Yeah. Um, we're, we're dealing with these high school boys, right? Fun-loving, silly, immature, ego-driven. We talked a couple weeks ago about that kind of, you know, Jesus is giving these calls of his suffering, his passion, right? And then the disciples... Handsome boy! Who's... Um, we're, okay, let's go to the text. We got our high school boys. Jesus talked about suffering, his passion is about to die. And what do the high school boys do? Hey, uh, Jesus, uh, we're trying to figure out like who's the greatest here. Like who's got the best muscles, the coolest sunglasses, the best board shorts, right? Like, you know, kind of who's, who's the man here in this, right? And then Jesus again predicts his passion and his suffering. And then Big Joe and Austin kind of pull him aside and say like, hey, Jesus, you know, when you kind of come to your power, 
let, let one of us have these positions of status, right? This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. So Jesus is going to talk about children this week, right? He's going to talk about little kids. So let's read these passages. Uh, and we're going to read them in, in actually Mark uh, and Matthew. Uh, so Mark 9, 30 through 37. I'm kind of expanding that out a little bit to, to help us remember some of those things from back in January. Um, and again, we'll, we'll read these in the round. So read a couple verses. And then uh, let me jump in here. There's this little kind of, you know, again, these disciples get it wrong, right? So Jesus is talking about children. And then John, we're going to talk about this next week. You know, hey, you know, John comes and says, hey, we saw somebody driving out demons in your name. And we told them to stop, Jesus, because they're not part of us, right? And then Jesus says, don't, don't stop them. They're, they're doing good work, right? So John kind of has this little interruption. And then 42, Jesus almost continues his thought, right? Where he's, then he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones... Those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. So he gives some instruction here on children. And then he's going to kind of repeat this. Let's go to 13. Someone start us up in 10, 13. Excellent. Now let's switch over to page 688. We're going to read the Matthew version in which Matthew kind of, in some senses, puts most of these things together. Um, And we'll just read those first six verses. And then again, if anyone causes one of these little ones, uh, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to, uh, if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay. Um, so again, these passages on children. One of the things, especially in the Mark version, it's almost set up, the way that I was reading it, it's like Jesus gives them a lesson. 
right? He gives them this lesson in chapter 9 about little kids, right? About welcoming little kids. He kind of puts a little kid in front of him and says, hey, if you welcome little children, like, you're welcoming me. Like, you're, right? Um, and then he gives them a quiz in chapter 10, <laughs> right? Where people are actually bringing children to Jesus, and what do the disciples do? Like, go back to these boys, right? Come on, get these kids out of the way. Like, we got business to do here, Jesus, right? Like, come on, we're... You know what I mean? And so there's like this lesson and this, this quiz that happens. So in these passages, um, I think, again, we kind of are rotating around three different people. You have the children, you have the disciples, and you have Jesus. Um, let's spend a little bit of time on each one. It, with the children, I, it's really important for us to start when we talk about the children, right? People, Jesus is bringing a child among, amongst the disciples, right? People are bringing their child to Jesus for him to bless them. It's really important for us to remember as we think about these passages, because what happens is, is we kind of take our view of children, oh, sweet little James and Ella and, you know, um, little Dawson and all our little kids. Oh, they're so sweet and what and Max are so sweet and wonderful, right? And we kind of get all nostalgic and sentimental. Look, Jesus, it's a blonde hair, blue-eyed kids. You know, they're just so, look, she has her hands folded praying. Um, and we, we can kind of get a little sentimental about these, these, these children. But Jesus is not pointing, a lot of times people think about this, like, Oh, children are, are innocent, they're pure, they're honest, they're trusting, they're optimistic. Um, that is not what Jesus is pointing to here, okay? Uh, Garland says it like this in his commentary, and then I'll comment a little bit on his commentary. Garland says, We should not read back our modern fas- fascination and sentimentalization of childhood into the Gospels. The ancient world did not have a romantic notion of children. Children added nothing to the family's economy or honor and did not count. Judaism shared these perspectives, right? And he quotes uh, like a sage who was the sage, one of the Jewish sages said, a sage should not bother with children. And then he said, this is a great line. This, this could be like your proverb for the day. Morning sleep and midday booze, midday wine, and like talking with children and sitting in the meeting houses of ignorant people put a man of the world, right? Like a man of, like you want to be a man of the world? You don't want to be a man? You just kind of want to be a man out there? Sleep in, drink during the day, hang out with kids and ignorant people, right? So even, even Judaism was like, nah, kids are like, they're, they're down there. Um, when, when Jesus is... Talking about children and using the example of children, again, we are reading sometimes our romantic notions back there, right? But what Jesus is pointing to would be children's, um, I have it here, their, their smallness, their insignificance, their low status, their unimportance, right? Um, Jesus is pointing, this is, what he, this is why he's using children as an example. Um, children, this is, a, this is a very, very crude analogy. Children are scrap metal that you put out on the curb when you don't want it anymore. You know what I'm talking about? The scrappers come through and they like pick up all your scrap metal. That's how they viewed children, right? If you had a child in the ancient Near East, it was defective, it was a girl, you couldn't afford it, you didn't want it, you took that child and you would just go set it out, and it's like the way that we take scrap metal and set it out on the curb, and who knows what happens to it, somebody comes and gets it and it disappears, that's what you would do with children, 
right? There was not this like, oh, these sweet little kids, you know, going back to this, this picture, oh, these little babies, you know, we love them so much. And Jesus is using a child here, right? Because of their insignificance, because of their low status, because of their unimportance. Um, so when we think about this, uh, with, with, with transitioning to the disciples, right? Jesus is, is, this is the main thrust that the disciples would have picked up on. And the disciples are going to struggle with this. And we talked a couple weeks ago about with, with serving, and Richard Foster had that fantastic quote that we, that we used, which he says, you know, whenever there's trouble about the greatest, there's always trouble about who's the least, and he says, that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? We all know we're not going to be the greatest. Just don't let me be the least, right? And Bruner says, you know, one of the problems that we face in the church, right? He says, one of the main problems that we face in the church is this selfish desire to be prominent, okay? And Jesus brings a little child and sets them among them, right? People are bringing children to Jesus to have him bless them, Right? And the disciples, and even us in the church, we don't understand that, that, that role. And our desire, our struggle, what we battle against is prominence, right? It's trying to be significant. It's trying to bump our status up a little bit. It's trying to be a little bit more important. He says this is one of the big enemies. And think about how true this is in churches. And when churches fall apart, and when churches split and divide, right? Jesus is calling the disciples. The, the image here, the, the emphasis here is on the children's smallness and the insignificance and the low status and the unimportance. And that is what he is, he is utilizing as most, as like, this is what it means to be a child. This is what it means to enter the kingdom like a child. This is what it means to receive me like a child, right? Um, so let's go back to the disciples, right? The disciples. Now we are going to think about the disciples and their, their quest for power, right? What happens is whenever you rise to power, right? Whenever you rise to power, how do you rise to power without somehow stepping on the little ones or the small ones along the way, right? How do you do that, right? This is what the disciples have their minds filled with, is the rise to power. And whenever you rise to power, you are going to be stepping on the small ones on the way. Um, with the Olympics, right? How many people does Usain Bolt how many small ones does he have to beat, does he have to destroy to become a great champion? Right? A lot. Uh, sorry to use uh, the Hitler analogy. Have you guys ever heard the, um, I forget what it's called, but there's like a clause. If you're in an argument with somebody and you reference Hitler or the Nazis like as your point, to make your point, you, that's like the automatic loser of the argument. Have you ever heard that? What's that? Like, oh yeah, well then Hitler did this. And she's like, well, you just lost the whole argument. <laughs> but, you know, in any sort of political situation, you want to rise to power in politics, 
how many people do you, how many little ones do you step on on the way? Right? Our man Jeff Bezos could use Mark Zuckerberg, could use some sort of tech giant. How many little mom and pops have been destroyed because of Amazon, because of the rise to power? Right? Anyone who rises to power, it's inevitable that you're stepping that you're moving up, you're stepping on little ones on the way. And what the disciples, again, are struggling with is they have that Olympic mentality, right? They're going to dominate. They're going to they're be, they have the talent. They have the perseverance. They're reaching for something higher. They are moving up and up and up and up. And what's Jesus calling them to? The Olympics or the Special Olympics? Right? What's he calling, what's he calling us to? The Olympics or the Special Olympics? Right? He's not saying, look, church, go be great, dominate, become the big church on the block, shut other churches down, you know, put your name out there. St-. He's like, nah, it's kind of like, like the Special Olympics. Who's the small? Who's the insignificant? Who's unimportant around you? Right? Those are the greatest people. Those are the winners. Those are the champions. Competition and winning and domination and skill, and determination, and mental toughness, all the ways we rise to power. In the kingdom of God, it's an illusion. It's a mirage in the desert, and when you chase it, you will die of thirst. Jesus is trying to point that to his disciples, and he's trying to tell it to us. You can chase all of these things. You can try and be the Olympian in the kingdom of God, and you'll die of thirst. But I do have another Olympics I want you to take part of. It's a special Olympics. Do you want to come play on that field? Right? And our high school boys struggle with that. And it's important here to remember one of the things Jesus isn't doing here, right? He's not abolishing ambition, right? He's not just deleting ambition for this. These young boys, they're high school boys. They're hungry. They're ambitious. They're motivated. They're excited. They want to get out there and make a difference in the world. But Jesus is just restructuring. This is what Jesus does. He's just restructuring it, Right? He doesn't destroy humans coming to, it's like Jesus isn't destroying humans coming together to play sports, to play games. He's just calling humanity, okay, the Special Olympics, these are the real games. Like, it's such an afterthought for us. Myself, nobody even knew the Special Olympics happened last year. We all know these Olympics are happening, right? But Jesus is like, you want to pay attention to something in the world, right? You pay attention over here. So Jesus, again, he's just restructuring that, that ambition. He's just changing it. Another example would be, um, here's a great example. Uh, there was a time when if you wanted to lose weight, right, all you would focus on are three things, fat, saturated fat, and trans fat, right? And you would eliminate all of those things in your diet, and that would be the way to lose weight. Anybody remember that? The low-fat diet, right, and the low-fat Low-fat milk, low-fat cheese, low-fat this, low-fat that, right? And you'd lose weight. What's the, what's, the, what's the diet right now? Keto. Keto. Carbs, right? Like, everything is like, oh, my gosh. Like, this doesn't have a lot of fat. Oh, look at all those carbohydrates there. You know what I mean? Right? So now we've switched to this low-carb diet, right? Like, where you can eat the fats because your body's going to, you know, it's going to go into this ketosis state. The fat's going to burn, you know. Just don't feed it the, the carbohydrates that turn into sugars, right? Eat all, like, the fats of eggs and salmon and ranch dressing and meat and all of those sorts of things. Like, that's the, the way to go. Now, with this, again, the goal is to lose weight, right? 
It's just a restructured method of losing weight. Got it? Jesus isn't abolishing the, he's not abolishing their ambition, the disciples, their motivation, their excitement, their hunger, their desire. He's reordering it. This is what he does in our life. He doesn't abolish our ambition, our motivation, our excitement, our hunger, our desire. He reorders it, right? You think that you think that being great is just getting rid of the children and being the important and like having all this great ministry? No, 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 no. It's these little kids that I will take into my arms and I will bless them. And if you can't receive the kingdom of God like one of these little children, right? Then you have no place in it. And again, this is what Jesus continues to do. This is transformation in our lives that he reorders He reorders the way that we think, what we think is important, what we think is valuable. He takes the world system and he says, all that stuff is not what's important. Let me show you what's really important. Now, one last thing. Uh, We got to talk about our man, Jesus. Because what can be overlooked in this passage is who really is important in this passage, right? Which is Jesus, right? He's the center. He's, here's a bicycle wheel for you guys. I know you guys get really, it helps you to see a good visual. Shout out to my sponsor, Envy, right there, who sponsors me in all sorts of cycling things. And right there, Jesus is the center of the passage. He's the hub. All things relate to him, right? Not the children, not the disciples, right? Listen, the, the, the children, look at this nice little picture of all these nice wonder. Some of the pictures you find on the internet are just spectacular. Um, you know, not the children, not any of that. Jesus is the core of the passage. Everything moves around here. So here's how you, how you got to understand these passages. When Jesus says, you know, hey, um, if anyone welcomes the children in my name, they welcome me. And not only do they, and, not, and they don't welcome me, but then they welcome the Father, right? A, a way to translate that would be, um, you are welcoming the children out of devotion to me. Because you are so committed to me, then you welcome the little ones. Ah, I just have a soft spot for kids. They're cute, and I just kind of like playing with them, and they're sweet and innocent and pure. Okay, that's fine. But what Jesus is saying is, Jesus is saying, anything that you're doing here, it's because of your devotion. I am the cent- We have to continue to put our eyes on Jesus as the center, right? Another example would be like this. Right? Jesus uses this really radical passage about, hey, if you cause one of these little ones to sin, like, you know, what's on the other side, like if you think having a, a millstone tied around your neck and being tossed into the ocean, you think that's bad? What's on the other side of that is even worse. Right? If you cause one of these little ones to sin, which is to break relationship with Jesus, with God, if you cause one of those little ones to sin, right? And again, it's not just about morality. It's not just raising nice, sweet children, having them not do bad stuff or have bad morals. Jesus is saying, I am the center here, right? Now, doing good stuff, having good morals is important, but it's in relationship to me, right? It's in relationship to the hub, which is Jesus. Another example here in these passages where he says, hey, I want you to receive the kingdom of God as a child, right? Again, not just take on like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to be innocent and pure and honest as if that is the end in itself. The kingdom of God, Jesus is 
the goal. So as much as we talk about the children, everything, our minds are focused on the children, we have these romantic notions about the children, think 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times more about that towards Jesus, right? Um, I got just a couple little bonus final ideas, bonus content for you guys this morning. Great, great uh, quote from Dale Bruner. We got a lot of people who are parents in this room, and some of you guys... I think all of you have parents, so here you go. This one's for you. Bruno has this great quote. Jesus speaks literally of a warm welcome to children. The classic insignificance, right? Adoption, foster parenting, big brother and big sister programs, and the like are highly honored by these, these verses, this verse, right? And he says this. I loved this quote in the middle, and I thought about, okay, especially parenting. Discipled parenting gets Jesus' blue ribbon in this first practical application of the humility principle, right? Isn't that great? Disciple, I always thought about getting y'all blue ribbons this morning. Discipled parenting gets Jesus' blue ribbon uh, in this first practical application. And you can even, you know, like, like I think about my kids, I also think dearly about my parents, right? About the way that, that they discipled me through their parenting, Right? Disciple parenting gets Jesus' blue ribbon in his first practical application of the humility principle. All uh, teachers of children are honored by Jesus' practical application. Child care is the best way to be humble in Jesus' sense. <laughs> right? And it's true because child care will completely humble you. Um, and then let me give you one little takeaway. Um, before I do, I have one other note. This is, this is again, kind of hearkening back. You know, when we talked about that kind of youth group junior, right? Getting kids in front of us, taking care of children is the best way. It's one of the primary ways to be humble in Jesus' sense. One other theologian, his name's W.C. Allen, he says, these passages are a call to humility and a great way to practice humility is by our relation to little, right? Not just, you know, not just sized, but little people. Um, And here's, I guess, here would be my challenge this week is I want you to find someone little, right? Someone in your life who gets overlooked, someone who might be unimportant, might be unseen, might be insignificant. Find somebody little, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, I'd like to say, say this week, but, and then serve them somehow. Welcome them somehow, right? And maybe take them to lunch. If there's already somebody I'm thinking, i, I got to take them to lunch this week. Maybe just give them some special time of, of hanging out with them, of being with them. Maybe there's kind words, a gift. Maybe there's a real in, intentionality in prayer, in playing with that person, in loving them. Right? This is just a real opportunity for us. And again, I, I would probably imagine that the Holy Spirit's already put someone on your heart. Right? Someone little. Someone who you know who's overlooked at work, at home, in the neighborhood, in the church, in your family. Um, and then just serve them somehow. Right? Find a way to welcome them. Right? Find a way to welcome them, again, in the name of Jesus, as we push towards Jesus. So, all right, I think that's about all I got this morning. Do a little discussion. Uh, 
Can you think of a time in your life where you received a lesson? Uh, maybe God gave you a word, an idea, a thought, and a quiz in your relationship with Jesus. Not too long after that, all of a sudden, there's that opportunity to demonstrate your faithfulness. Uh, it doesn't have to be specifically re- with re- children, but s- somewhere. Uh, how does this passage change knowing children are kind of like more viewed as insignificant, unimportant, low status than innocent, humble, cute, loving, trusting? Uh, the main enemy in the church is the selfish desire to be prominent. How is this true for you? Uh, and then what might be one way, again, you can reset, Jesus is the hub. He's the center. What might be one way you can recenter your life on Jesus this week? All right. Um, I feel like we do need to get up and we need to move around and get some blood flowing and find some different people and sit with some folks. So uh, can we do that and then go over these questions?